Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. And we do extend to our visitors, especially, a very warm welcome. And we're thankful that you've joined us this Lord's Day, uh, a particular Lord's Day of celebration as a church as we get to see the ordination to the diaconate of two of our brothers here at Bethany. And so with that, we want to turn first to the Word of God. And I invite you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy chapter 3, and we want to focus this morning on verses 8 through 13. First Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Let us all hear the word of God. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray and unite our hearts. Our gracious God and Father, thank you for the blessing of corporate worship together. We thank you for the encouragement to our hearts it is to sing together the praises of our God to rehearse the glorious gospel of Christ to our own hearts and the hearts of our brothers and our sisters. We thank you for the reading of your word. And we thank you, Father, in particular this morning as we come to the the privilege of doing the official business of your church as we recognize and install two of our brothers, David and Ken, to the diaconate. We thank you that your word has given us instructions about how your church is to be ordered for your glory and for the church's prosperity. We thank you that you have instructed us what kind of leaders we ought to look for. And we thank you also that your spirit gives the grace and raises up leaders of such qualification. Father, we pray that you would cause our hearts to rejoice this morning as we consider your word We pray that we would rejoice that you are building your church and strengthening your church, not only here, but all across the world. We long to see more healthy churches established where your gospel is proclaimed and heralded and where people are being converted and being conformed to the image of Christ. Continue to do that in our midst, we pray, Father. Draw near to us this morning. We thank you for all of your mercies to us in Christ. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I've already mentioned, we have the privilege this morning of installing two of our brothers to the office of deacon. And in light of that, I want us to open up together this portion of 1 Timothy 3 
for all of our encouragement as a church and an exhortation to all of us, but also in particular as an exhortation and encouragement to our brothers Ken and David. And so, if you have your Bibles open, if, if you don't already have them open to 1 Timothy 3, if you would turn there, that's where we will focus our attention this morning. Paul, in 1 Timothy, many of you probably know this, is writing to his son in the faith. Timothy is a younger pastor who, like every pastor, has church issues as well as personal struggles. And in 1 Timothy, Paul is writing his son in the faith, according to Paul's words in chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 15, he is writing Timothy so that if Paul is delayed in coming to Timothy, Timothy will know how he is to conduct himself in the church of God. That is, Paul is instructing this younger pastor of how he is to lead the church in an orderly and profitable direction for the glory of God and for the good and the strength of that local church. And Paul, having already exhorted Timothy in chapter 1 to silence certain men who were disturbing the church and who were bringing error and trouble in, Paul now turns positively in chapter 3 to describe for Timothy and for us the type of men Timothy should put forth as examples to the church. And it's in chapter 3 that Paul describes for us the character of the kind of men who will benefit the church and who will strengthen the church and who will allow the church to prosper in her mission. And as is true of his description of elders earlier in the chapter, he first describes the elders or the overseers, but just as true as it is with his description of the elders, Paul's emphasis in this section is on the character of the man who would serve as deacon. In fact, you might notice Paul does not even describe the task of the deacon here. That's just assumed. He doesn't emphasize what the man must be good at, but rather Paul spends all of his wording describing the kind of men that they must be. And David and Ken, I'm going to address you guys at various points this morning, you guys know this, I've, I've said this to you plenty of times, and you guys know this and believe this, but the character of the man who is going into office is of utmost importance. Because godly men, even if they lack some of the other, what we might call giftedness, even though they might lack some of being not as, quite as handy as someone else, godliness and godly men are what the church needs. The church needs men who are first and foremost full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, as is evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. And so Paul begins this list of qualifications, and we, I want to consider these together. He begins, deacons likewise, that is just like the elders or the overseers, deacons likewise must be reverent or could be translated dignified or worthy of respect. Now notice, Bethany, Paul says that they must be these things. Paul is not just throwing out, you know, Timothy, this might be a good idea if you had men that were like this. He's not just making recommendations or suggestions. 
He is saying, Timothy, this is absolutely what is required of men who would serve as deacon. And he begins, they must be reverent. They must be dignified. That is, I think we could summarize that word in this way. They are men who have a sense of, or or who have a weight of seriousness regarding godliness and their commitment to Christ. Um, Older translations like the King James translated it, they must be grave men. Now, you get what they were getting at. In our day, when we say someone is grave, we usually mean that someone is somber, they're joyless, they're laughless. That's not, that's not the, the point. Paul's not saying they must be men who can never you know, roll around and play with their kids. But rather, he's saying they are men who, when it counts, they are known for their seriousness about godliness. And they're not flippant men, but they are respected for their wisdom and their character and their speech. Secondly, Paul says he must not be double-tongued. It's amazing to me that this is second on the list of Paul's um, requirements, that he must not be double-tongued. And what is being emphasized here in this qualification is that the deacon must be a man who is a consistent man. And it doesn't just have to do with a man's speech, but obviously a man's speech is usually what reveals the heart of a man. When a man is double-tongued in his speech, it usually reveals that he is double-minded. The kind of man that Paul is describing here is a man who is who he is, and he believes what he believes, and he says what he says regardless of who his audience is. He doesn't hold one opinion privately because it's unpopular and then actually hold another opinion publicly. Kevin, or Kevin, that's a mixture, I guess, of Ken and David somehow. (laughs) Ken, David. A deacon cannot be a politician. A deacon cannot be a man who says one thing in one context and then says a different thing in different company. He must be, like the elder, he must be impartial and courageous. He must walk in integrity regardless of who he is friends with. And I'll have to make sure I focus really hard not to say Kevin again. Ken, David, that is vital And I speak from personal testimony. I have seen good men begin slowly to choose friendships and relationships over their commitment to the truth. And they begin to become partial to certain people. And they begin to let their allegiances to their friends govern what they say. Men, I want to encourage you. You know I've said this to you before. Be your own men. Right or wrong, whether I agree with your opinion or I don't agree with your opinion, and I say this on behalf of all your elders, we want to know what our men actually think. We don't want to hear what they think we want them to think. And so be your own men. Don't don't become yes men. Don't feel like you have to fear that if you ever speak a dissenting word to your elders that suddenly you're going to be in trouble. We want you to be your own men, not double-minded. 
not double-tongued. I want to encourage you, brothers. You already have a track record that this is true of you already, and I just want to encourage you as you officially step into the ministry in the capacity of deacon, resist the temptation to fear, to cowering to the fear of man that will tempt you to become partial towards the truth. Thirdly, and fourthly, Paul says they must not be addicted to much wine or be greedy for dishonest gain. These, these two qualifications go together. These qualifications emphasize the self-control of the man. That he must be controlled in his appetites of lawful things, like wine, and he must guard himself from the unlawful desires that would cause him to seek other things in an ungodly way. Both of those are covered here. Paul is emphasizing that God's gifts to us are given to be enjoyed to His glory with self-control. There's nothing inherently sinful or wrong about wine. There's nothing inherently sinful or wrong with money. But there is danger in the abuse of lawful things and to become so enticed with things like worldly gain that we begin to seek them in an ungodly manner or fashion. And so men, be men who are above reproach in these things. Be men who are examples to be followed. Let it be known that you are a content man with the gifts God gives to His people. Live as an example of a man who people see and they know that this is a man who is not living for the fleeting pleasures of this present world, but this is a man who lives knowing his reward is in heaven. Paul is not saying that office bearers in the church need to become ascetics, and that they just deny themselves every good thing God has given, but rather he's saying they must be a man who cannot be charged with not having control over his desires. And then verse 9, Paul says, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And again, this is Paul going after the fact that he wants men in leadership to be men of integrity. He wants them to be men of conviction, men of principle. He wants them to be men who own their faith as their own. Such that even if they were the last Christian on earth, they would still worship and serve the Lord. That they are not men who are just easily tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Or or men who are easily swayed by the next thing that becomes popular. But rather, they are steadfast, their own men, living before God according to the faith once and for all handed down to the saints. And then Paul says, not only must they have these characteristics, but they must have proven themselves in these things. Verse 10, he says, and let them also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Paul realizes how important godly men are in leadership. Because he knew firsthand the detriment to the church that it is when ungodly or unfit men get into leadership. This is why he tells Timothy elsewhere to lay hands, that is, 
to officially ordain into the eldership, he tells Timothy, Timothy, lay hands on no man too quickly. He commands Timothy, don't be hasty in your evaluation of men. He says here, let them first be tested. Let let their character be exposed to the real pressures of ministry and and the hard, self-denying labor of serving Christ's church. And then, after they have proven themselves under those pressures, then let them serve as deacons. And Bethany, I, I can say this, and I say this on behalf of all of your elders, and I think all of you would agree with the same, that we have seen Ken and David both willing to do and to subject themselves to that very thing. To be tested, to be put before the church, and we have given them work, so to speak, and tasks, and we have given them tests, and they have proven themselves after a season to be steadfast men. With with the grace of God being their help, they have proved themselves, as Paul says here, faithful and blameless. Then, Paul briefly addresses the character of the deacon's wife. Now, Brittany and Francis, you probably didn't think that you were going to be the uh, subject to be addressed this morning, but it's, it's in the text and it's in the passage. Brittany and Francis, I know um, you know this, and I've, I said this to both of you when we had the vote for your husbands, but vital to the deacon's success and vital to the deacon fulfilling his role is the godliness of their wives at home. And and that's obvious by the fact that Paul thought it was important enough to address the wives of the deacons. There there are things about the deacon's work that are particularly sensitive that require his wife as well to be a dignified woman, that require his wife not to be a slanderer, not a gossiper, but to be sober-minded and faithful. And your husbands will often find themselves dealing with sensitive information. And and that is why Paul knows that their wives need to be women of discretion. They they need to not be tail-bearers. And those who have a love of just getting involved in everyone's business and spreading everyone's uh, dirty laundry around, but rather they must be women of discretion. Francis and, and Brittany... You guys, you are the friend of your husband in his work who he can depend upon to be godly and faithful in all things. And again, I say, just as I said to your husbands, I say this on behalf of our elders, we are thankful for those graces that are evident in your lives as wives and as women, as mothers. And then in verse 12, Paul now turns back to the deacon. And he gives him one more qualification and then a promise. In verse 12, he says, Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Again, this speaks to the the consistency Paul wants in a man. He, He does not allow the deacon, just like the elder, He does not allow him to be a man who compartmentalizes his life. He cannot be a man who is simply faithful in some areas and some things, but rather his whole life needs to be a testimony of his godly consistency. 
And Paul points out the area where that is made plain, in the man's home. Just as Paul said to the, about the elders in verse 5, he said to them, if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So he applies that same principle here to the deacon. How a man cares for and manages his home life is a reflection of how he will care for, for the church. If he neglects his wife and if he neglects his children, he will be a man who neglects the church. If, if he is selfish towards his wife and towards his children, he will be selfish towards the church. But Paul says he must be a man who is devoted to one wife, the husband of one wife. And that doesn't just, that's not just Paul's way of prohibiting polygamy, which is part of what that means, but it's also emphasizing that he needs to be devoted to the wife he has. He must care for her. He must deal with her gently and with grace. And he must manage his own children and household well. It must be apparent that his children, they have a respect for dad. That dad maintains order and uh, authority in the home so that it can be known that just as this man has the wisdom to manage his household and to deal with each of his children according to their needs, so also we have confidence that he will also have the wisdom to deal with the varied needs of the church with wisdom and prudence. And then finally, in verse 13, Paul gives this promise to those who serve as deacons. He says, For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Ken and David, there are many sobering responsibilities that come with holding office in the church. But there is also a great reward attached to serving in this capacity faithfully. We've, we've talked about this. You guys, you men have seen this. Your wives have seen this to an extent. Ministry is often difficult. Ministry requires self-sacrifice. It, it can sometimes be a thankless job. Sometimes it's a tiring job. Oftentimes it's a, it's a job that will weigh upon your soul because of difficult situations you're entering into with people, with problems. But brothers, it also promises a great reward who carry out this task faithfully. Those who serve well as deacons, Paul says, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying to you men who are about to enter office in the church in the diaconate, he is saying, by carrying out your role faithfully to the Lord Jesus Christ and serving well, it will be a means by which your assurance is bolstered and your confidence in the grace of Christ is increased. Because ministry will stretch you, and it already has, I'm sure you've experienced it as you've been tested, it will stretch you in a good way of learning more deeply what it is to share in the sufferings of Christ as you serve His people so that you will also know more deeply what it is to experience the power of His resurrection in your life. 
Men, there is great reward, and I'll say more to you about this in our application, but there is a great reward and blessing attached to this noble office. Now let's turn to our application this morning. Let's turn to our application before we give our attention to formally laying laying our hands upon these men and committing them to their charge as deacons here at Bethany. I have three groups of people this morning that I want to briefly apply this text to, encourage you, and exhort you in some things. Number one, the first group that I want to apply this text to is everyone in this room, the entire church. These characteristics that Paul mentions in this passage are characteristics that every single Christian ought to desire to be true of themselves. We are ordaining this morning two men, but by no means does that mean that it is only office bearers who should care about pursuing these characteristics. When we think about how Paul describes both elders and deacons, we should not think that he's describing super-Christians, but rather it is Paul's way simply of describing the marks of mature Christianity. All of us, whether, whether you're in a place where you can't even imagine there would come a day, if you're a man, that you think there's no way I would ever serve the church in office, we'll see. Maybe that desire needs to be changed. But even if you're in that place and, and you think there's, there's no way that's going to happen, these are all characteristics that you should be saying to yourself, I want to be this kind of person and this kind of Christian. I want to be reverent and dignified and not double-tongued, not given to much wine or greedy for selfish gain. I want to be one who holds the mystery of the faith in good conscience. Brothers and sisters, perhaps there are characteristics that Paul brings out here as we've considered them that they jump, they jump off the page to you. And, and as, as you read them, you think that's one that I need to grow in. That, that that's, that's an area that I have not yet achieved maturity in. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is able As we read what Paul says these men must be, we need to remember that the same Spirit who penned the words of what we ought to desire to become is the same Spirit who empowers us from within by His grace to actually obey His Word and to become more like Christ. And so as you see the high standard, and it is a high standard, that the Scriptures describe for us the character of deacons, also take it as an encouragement that God does make people like this. And His grace is sufficient for you and available to you to grow in godliness and to grow in grace. Praise, Praise God that God raises up men for office. And men, other men besides Ken and David... We desire, as your elders, many more who would desire to serve the Lord in His church and for the Lord to raise up for us more men to lead and to care for the church here. But brothers and sisters, let us rejoice 
Let us not only see these as an encouragement for our own Christian growth, but also let us rejoice as a church today. Let us pray for Ken and for David, and let us not only pray for them, but encourage them in their work so that they can do it with joy and with gladness. That's the first group, is I want to address the entire congregation. Secondly, I want to address again the wives, Brittany and Francis. Brittany and Francis, you have already been, and I trust you will continue to be your husband's help. And as I've already said, and as you already know, and you've experienced, ministry is not easy. Ministry calls for self-denial. It calls for enduring hardship. And that is true not only for the man, but it's also true for his wife and his family. When your husbands will have to deny themselves for the sake of serving the church, that means you have to deny yourselves of your husbands. In many ways, you, you will sacrifice together. But I want to encourage you, ladies, your work is not in vain, and the Lord sees every sacrifice. And He will reward you richly. I know perhaps true of the wives of office bearers more than anyone else, I know that your work is more behind-the-scenes work that rarely gets praised, rarely even gets noticed by people. But the Lord who is in heaven sees all of your works. He sees your faithfulness in all things, as Paul says about the wives here. Paul thought it was important to address the deacon's wives because what a man is in terms of his usefulness is in large part owing to his faithful wife. Spurgeon said of his wife, I've mentioned this before, he said of his wife, it takes more grace than I can tell to play second fiddle well. And ladies, the Lord being your help, seek to play your part well. The Lord will strengthen you. He will help you. He will equip you for every good work as you help and serve your husband. And then lastly, last group, I want to speak to you men, Ken and David specifically. Brothers, I stand up here today as not only your pastor, but I, as you know, I stand here as your friend. And both of you have become dear friends to me. And today is a momentous day. Both, for both of you, but also for me and also for all of your elders because we, we have seen your growth in the Lord. Ken, from the very beginning of your life as a Christian, seeing the Lord convert you and Brittany. David, getting to know you after you'd been a Christian a while and watching you grow in your maturity and your doctrinal understanding. It's been a privilege to pastor you to work already alongside you in the gospel, and I praise God and I look forward to now officially ordaining you into the ministry as deacons of Christ's church. Deacons, servants of the church. Because that is what both of you men, I can honestly say that is what you are. You are servants, and that's evident to the entire congregation. And I just want to say this to you, brothers. Excel still more. All of us have seen your progress. 
but excel still more. Strive to make your progress continue to be seen by all. Brothers, don't neglect your walk with God as you enter into office. Don't, and the temptation will be there, where church business just becomes your identity. Don't neglect your duty as a regular Christian to be fighting and killing sin. I've said this to you guys before, and I will, Lord willing, it will be my motto till the end of my days. I will take one godly, humble man who sincerely loves the Lord Jesus Christ and loves his church over a thousand men who are gifted and talented in practical things but do not have godly character. Because it is godly men and godly men alone who perform godly work in the church. And ungodly men, no matter how gifted and talented they might be in other respects, ungodly men will in time, without a doubt, harm the church tremendously. And I, as your pastor, have no reservations about the caliber of your men's character. And I have no doubt that you will grow more in the ministry. Because you will experience the, the, the testings and the temptations of the things that I have mentioned. And I just I want to plead with you, I want to exhort you so that this is a day that you guys look back on this. Be men who above all things are faithful to Christ and His Word. It is really as simple as that. Don't fear men. Don't become pragmatic. Don't become a politician. Be men of principle who hold yourself and every other person in this room accountable to one thing, the Word of God. Because it is to God that you will give an account to for your ministry. And brothers, remind yourself often of the prize and the reward that Paul lays before you. Run to win the prize. Run to win the prize not of the praise of men, but the commendation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you served faithfully Him as you served His church. Men, may God bless you and keep you. Give, may God give you strength to do His will. And may the, may the church prosper under your care and your service. Let's pray. Our Father, there are a few things that that carry the sobriety about them as office-bearing in your church. Part of that is because even since New Testament times, we have seen the destruction that the devil has caused in Christ's church by having ungodly and unfit leaders. And so, Father, we... 
We take it very seriously. And at the same time, Father, what a, what a joy it is for those who are sincere, those who walk in integrity and have this character and these characteristics true of them. Father, we are all feeble men. All of us are sinners, and all of us know that we are worse than anyone else in this room even knows about us. We thank you for the gospel. Father, we are not men who become fit for this task on our own. It is your grace that qualifies us. We thank you for the gospel that saves us from our sins and transforms us. We thank you for the evidence of that in Ken's life, David's life. We thank you for these dear brothers. We pray that as we now as a church turn to formally recognize and install these men to this sober office, cause our hearts to rejoice, cause our determination to be faithful, to be renewed within us, cause us with fresh strength to to desire to be those who run the race to win the prize, to finish well. Be with these brothers, be with their wives, be with us as a church. May Bethany flourish from the faithful service and labors of these men. Father, draw near to us now, we pray, as we handle the official business and the official privileges that you have given us to handle as a church. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.